we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and that time capsule of wonder of the early church, but then look at it as it is particularized, uh, or in other words, specified, right? There's great things that go on there, like there's many wonders and signs, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? They have these big categories that are here, but sometimes when you drill down and realize, yes, they devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, but then the book of Acts actually does us one better, and it gives us specific stories, incidences of what that looks like. So it's not just general concepts or logical propositions, but real flesh and blood stories of what this looked like. And it's pretty amazing. It's kind of the difference of just saying, like, yes, we have um, you know, 200 members in the coastal region. Yeah, that's, that's nice. But then when you drill down and you say, you know what, Dave Cable, what did it take for God to intervene in that cesspool of a life that was yours in order for you to actually sit here and be numbered among the members of the body of Christ? Right? And, then, and then Dave gets up and he, and he, and he tells of, of the horrors. And we all shriek at the earlier life that was his and, and the demons that had to fly and the intervention that was Christ and the perseverance that were the brothers that were in his life. And, and he was made new and, and the joy and the gratitude that flows from that. And you realize, wow, it's one thing to say, yeah, we've got 200 members in the coastal region or 800 members in the Hampton Roads Church. But then when you realize, whoa, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. It's because every single one of them is such a miracle when you really do drill down. And so that's the danger of just kind of doing the kind of 10,000 foot view of Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. So we'll begin there, but then we'll drill down. So let's look with me over in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The title of the sermon today is Devoted. And we will do a bit of a, a study of that as it pertains to both chapter 2 and 3. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, they sold their property and possessions to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we will look at this idea of devotion, but also to see why is it, how is it, that they could have this level of devotion. And I want to do a bit of a word study on that for us today too. But it also has very much to do with not just the fact that it says that they were devoted. But then you actually see what it looks like even more specifically on this. So for example, in their devotion, they had the wonders and, and beauty of all of these experiences as they daily got gathered together. They were one mind, one accord, one heart, such joy, overflowing, gratitude, flowing, bumping into one another with stories of redemption. It's a beautiful scene, no doubt a beautiful scene. And the, and the incredible part about it is they're doing it with antagonists all around them. They're doing it in the middle of the temple courts with naysayers all trying to, to really tamp it down. But it cannot be suppressed. It is the joy of gratitude that is just spilling over. And, 
encouraging more and more people to come to know this day after day. And even the word devotion that we've, we've looked at, you know, there is a beauty to the depth of this word. They had devotion on a lot of different fronts. And, and even from this particular passage, we see that there was devotion to Bible study, to fellowship. They had hospitality, house to house in public. They praised God in their devotion. They certainly were devoted in prayer. Matter of fact, even Acts chapter 1, 14 uh, says exactly the same thing, that they all joined together constantly in prayer. And, and by the way, that phrase constantly in prayer is just simply the word devoted in prayer. Constantly here is devoted, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were devoted to one another so much so that they shared what they had with one another. This is not collectivism or communism or socialism, by the way, because socialism is the idea that uh, you do not own personal property. Communism is actually taking it up even to another level of that. They actually owned their personal property and rather being coerced to be able to share that with one another. It was out of their own depth of devotion to Christ that they voluntarily, of their own volition, sold what they had and gave it to anyone as they had need. The devotion was also a devotion of celebrating grace, right? Of, of being able to break bread, the, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The devotion also saw seekers being baptized on a daily basis. It says in verse 41, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. But that's not all because 47 says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so you, you do see that the, the baptisms of, of verse 42 continue into daily wonders of devotion. But then also this other thing that is said here in verse 43, that in their devotion, they were witnessing wonders, wonders, miracles again and again, signs that pointed to Jesus by the apostles. These wonders and signs are the same words that are used of the ministry of Jesus. And the beauty of that suggests, more than suggests, but actually confirms that as Luke writes the book of Acts, he writes, I wrote to you back in, in, in my original gospel of everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then when he begins the book of Acts, that's how he, he describes it. I wrote to you then and I'm writing to you now about what Jesus began to do and to teach. But it keeps on going. And here we see that Jesus is not done. It is not what he taught and did. It is what he began to do and to teach. Even among us, as we have this same devotion, Jesus is alive and well. But now, when we consider all of these beautiful concepts here, and even the idea of devotion, if you, if you look it up in, in some of the better Greek dictionaries, it will, it will talk about the idea of being so consumed with something beautiful that you occupy yourself diligently to it. It is to pay persistent attention, but it's paying persistent attention with diligence, but interestingly, the diligence seems to almost be effortless because the desire is complementing the diligence. And when that desire and diligence come together, you have devotion. Or, or said another way, discipline says, I need to. Duty says, I ought to. But devotion says, I want to. This is the, the depth of what they were experiencing there. But the, the word 
devotion has that the kind of the root of it is kartereo. Kartereo is the idea of take courage, be steadfast in your strength. It is like a warrior intensity perseverance term. No matter what afflictions come our way, there is like blood and guts kind of in the in the heart of this term, kartereo. But the word for devotion actually intensifies it and, and puts on pros. Pros is kind of an intensifier in Greek. So it's proskartereo is the idea here. And, and by the way, the, the word is used in, in a few different spots. For, for example, in Numbers 13, in the Greek translation uh, of Numbers, these folks here read an Old Testament that was written in Greek. And so a lot of the times that we see Greek words in our New Testament, it's not a bad idea to go and look at what did the Old Testament Greek, how did they use that word? And so, for example, in Numbers 13, it's when the people, the spies are given the charge to go among the enemy nations that we're being called to take down and to conquer. Even though they are men of war, of great stature, training, size, and fortification, and we're a bunch of slaves who have been making bricks, you go in there and tell me what you see. And so the spies go in, in Numbers 13, but the charge was given to them, go and see, is the land rich, is it poor, are the trees or not? But be of good courage and bring back the news of the land. That phrase, be of good courage, was rather applicable and poignant. Why? Because these are untrained slaves going in among people that where they said, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And so Moses gives them that charge. When you go in there, you do it with great courage. Gird it up and go get it. And also, oh, speaking of Moses, it says in Hebrews 11, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Not fearing and persevering, those ideas coming together, is this same idea. It's the same word that, that we have here. Now, the word is often used with things like prayer. And so we think, well, prayer, devotion... It's kind of a bit more of a fuzzy and kind word, is it? No, we just think that because it's combined with prayer. When we don't appreciate what serious business and what spiritual warfare prayer really is meant to be. And, and as a matter of fact, as I said, the one time that this was used already in the book of Acts, it was that they persevered together in prayer as they awaited the promise of the power being sent from Jesus who has ascended on high, the Holy Spirit to come to them. I want to look at one other passage that is in the Greek Old Testament, but it's in the history books that are from the end of Malachi till the beginning of Matthew. And there's a history there of 400 years. And some of the more famous books that describe that history are the book of the Maccabeans. And in the fourth book of the Maccabeans, there's a rather intense story of a widow and her, her sons that are all martyred before a, a tyrant Greek king. And the tyrant Greek king is trying to get the sons to eat pork, meat that is, is unclean for a Jew. The sons are all refusing, and if they refuse, they're getting tortured. One after another after another, as the mother is looking on, by the way. But in the midst of that story, about 4th Maccabees, chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, 
The one word that keeps coming up again and again and again is this word. Kartareo. Pros kartareo. Let me read to you a, a little snippet of it. While all were marveling at his courageous spirit, the guards brought in the next eldest. And after, because the other, they, they started at the oldest son and they, they're, being, they're being executed one after another. They brought in the next eldest. And after fitting themselves with iron gauntlets, having sharp hooks, they bound him to the torture machine and catapult. Before torturing him, they inquired if he was willing to eat and they heard his noble decision. No. Then leopard-like beasts tore out his sinews with iron claws, flayed at his flesh, that is, stripped his flesh up to his chin, and tore away at his scalp. He steadfastly endured this agony and said, and by the way, steadfastly endured this agony, devotion. This is not a weak word. And he said, how sweet is any kind of death for the faith of our ancestors. To the tyrant, he said, do you think you, most savage tyrant, that you are being tortured more than I? As you see, the arrogant design of your tyranny is being defeated by our devotion for the sake of our faith. I lighten my pain by the joys that come from virtue, but you will suffer torture by the threats that come from your impiety. You will not escape you most abominable tyrant, the judgments of the divine wrath. When he too had endured a glorious death, endured here is uh, devoted, the third was let in and many repeatedly urged him to save himself. So when we read devoted, it's not like, oh, it's a night, you know, hopelessly devoted to you. No, no, this is an absolutely Take intensity, set it on fire, and then you've, you've got some sort of an idea of, of this idea of devotion. Devotion is discipline fueled by gratitude, diligence ignited by wonder, and duty bursting forth into significance. That's the amalgamation of what forms, in the end, our devotion. This is what brought together those that were saved from their empty way of life and into their brand new community where they now have a devotion to the Lord, a devotion to one another, a devotion to His mission, a devotion to the spiritual battle through prayer, through the Word, through encouraging one another. And now we see just one particular of what this looks like. And so let's, let, let's read on. As we, again, it just says simply, they devoted themselves and they were all filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. You read that and you think, oh, that's nice. There's probably nice things that were going on. Well, here is so cool about the Bible. You don't have to wonder about what were the many wonders and signs. Let me give you one, says Luke here. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. But by the way, one of the things that Peter and John say in chapter six is that we are now getting distracted as the church grows and, and, and is burgeoning with all sorts of people and needs, including some of the Grecian Jews, especially the women, that were not able to have even daily bread. And so the apostles found themselves being administrators over meal services, and they said, all right, we've got to, we've got to not be filled with this kind of activity because we need to be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We need to have a rock solid, courageous adherence and focus and joyful consumption 
with the ministry of Jesus through his word and through prayer. You see this in them as they're going up to the temple at three in the afternoon. There were two times of prayer at the temple where they made daily sacrifices. Uh, one was at 9 a.m., one was at 3 p.m. They probably were going to both. Why are they going at that time? They're not going to make a sacrifice because they know of the greater sacrifice. Why are they going? Because they know crowds are going to be there. And since there are going to be crowds there, they're going there because they are devoted to the ministry of the word. They have just been emboldened by the devotion to the ministry of prayer. And now, fresh from that courageous kind of installation of Christ's Holy Spirit and encouragement, off they go. Let's go. A crowd is forming. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. This may be a gate on the east side. A historian named Josephus, who writes a lot about the temple, says that all the other gates were gilded. That is, they were covered with gold. There was only one gate that was not, and it was considered the most beautiful gate. Interestingly, it was made by Corinthian craftsmen. Corinthians were very good at working with bronze. And this was a gate that was more beautiful, even though it was not gold, made of bronze. And Josephus says the gate was so large, it required 20 men in order to open and shut it. So he, he may be sitting by this gate, this man who is, is paralyzed, lame from birth. He had to be carried there, and, and his friends would put him there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When this man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This is one of the moments where you realize Peter is not the same man that he was before. Like this takes a whole good bit of confidence. Not only has he gotten up and you know, preached to the tens of thousands and baptized 3,000 already at this point and probably leading all of the activities that have been going on now day after day in their devotions, but even something as simple as this. It's a kind of a beautiful insight into the transition that is Peter's life of the confidence that he has that Jesus is still at work. That when this man says, uh, help a brother out, and Peter's like, I want you to give me your full, right here, right here. Because what's about to happen right now is going to change the trajectory of your life forever. And who knows, might even change the trajectory of the entire church. And it's, it's the case. But I love that, that Peter, in his devotion, walks around like this now rather than like he did around the servant girls when Jesus was about to be crucified. And he's like, oh, I don't know the man. I'm, Jesus, uh, my, my accent, well, I'm Galilean, but you know, uh, uh, but I'm not really with them. What a difference. I mean, before he's trying not to make eye contact, now he's like, I have Jesus to bring to you. Let's lock in here. Yeah. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, people didn't see him jumping, which, you know, you'd speculate about that. I've often thought maybe that was the first Caucasian convert. 
They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So earlier we just read, they were all filled with awe. And you know what? Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. How often have you read that and not ever considered, wow, fill that up with story after story like this. And then imagine how vibrant Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 must have really been. And how vibrant God wants it still to be for us today. How much God wants us to recognize that devotion has nothing passive in it whatsoever. Devotion has no aspect of spectator in it, but rather active participant, brothers and sisters at arms in the spiritual warfare, getting after it, one heart, one mind, one purpose, together in great enthusiasm because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the gratitude of what it is that Jesus has done to redeem your life. And so after it, they go consider a couple things regarding this man, because I think if we're going to understand devotion, it's got to go back to even understanding what it is that Jesus has done for every one of us. And you can see that in technicolor here with this man. This man was at the temple every day. But this is what Leviticus 21 says. Say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer food, the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand. That was this man's despair as he sat there day after day. Because not only could he not get up and walk, even if he could, he was also barred from being part of the sweetness of what he viewed as the, the community of faith as it existed right there in the temple courts. But here's the beauty of when Jesus comes and God's plan from all of antiquity on is that with Jesus, those who were rejected as unworthy for worship in the old covenant that is now obsolete now find full acceptance in the name of Jesus. This includes a lame beggar, an Ethiopian eunuch, a woman, or a Gentile. And most everybody here hits one of those categories. Some of you, maybe all of them. The more that you can appreciate how unworthy of worship, but then also how absolutely worthy of worship you are now, that begins to stir within us why it is that we have devotion. But this is not the scripture that everyone would have had top of mind other than the lame man as he sat there. The scripture after this story goes down that would have been on top of mind. And again, these are all Jews that especially had in mind the scriptures that pointed to the Messiah. We don't ever appreciate the atmosphere of electricity that would have existed at these gatherings around the temple if we don't appreciate the anticipation of the Messiah that all of these Jews would have been longing to. The more that the Romans continued their oppression, the more that their prayers were more overflowing with desperation and diligence and passion and shameless audacity before the Lord. Bring us the Messiah. Where could the Messiah be? 
And one of the scriptures that most clearly pointed to the Messiah that would have been a precious scripture that was a hold on to with all you got scripture for all of those Jews longing to throw off the yoke of oppression of the Romans and to see the deliverance that would come from the Messiah would have been a scripture that would have come to mind when they would have seen that this man began to walk and to leap and to praise God. Because Isaiah 35 says this, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is a big one. This is a, an absolute central tenet of messianic anticipation. Because in the context of this in Isaiah, you go back and read it, the, the context of this is this is the indication and the work at the hand of the great deliverer, the Messiah who will come. And the, one of the big things is the lame man will leap like a deer. How much more so a lame man who was that way from birth? There's no psychosomatic stuff going on here with this guy. From his birth, there is no denying that a miracle of miracles has occurred. With that, all of the kind of messianic fever would have been stoked into a greater pitch because this man is suddenly an object confirmation, a sign to all that the work of the Messiah is being done before our eyes. Because they had not seen this done before. A lame man from, uh, from birth suddenly leaping and being able to have life as he did. By the way, the, the word here, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That, that word there is the idea of being tongue-tied. It's used only once in the New Testament and it's used only once in the Old Testament. It's used once here in Isaiah 35. And again, it's such an odd word to be uh, tongue-tied that it also is one of the things that Jesus did during his own ministry. When he kind of spit and touched the tongue of the man in Mark chapter 7, and he said to him, Apoptha, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. That is the exact phrasing of Isaiah 35 as well. And so the idea around Jesus being this Messiah was already a buzz because Isaiah 35 is that big a deal to this crowd. And now suddenly, in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, in the continuing ministry of Jesus, the lame man leaps like a deer and the tongue-tied man is able to speak. This is not going to be mistaken. And these are very purposeful, almost laser-focused miracles that Jesus is deploying in the middle of temple courts. Like appreciate where this is landing. Among the people that are most looking forward. And, and, and among the people that are either going to respond with. Praise God hallelujah. Or wait a minute. How, how dare it happen in a way that I don't expect. And so it is a polarizing effect. And we'll see this in the coming chapters. But for us. Cliffhanger. And cliffhanger. All through the book of Acts. So we will have a cliffhanger today. Because this incident sets off radical, radical boldness in, in the entire church. And it requires nothing less than radical boldness. But how does that radical boldness even come about? It comes about because they had a daily joy of devotion. Courageous, bold devotion that stoked in them not only a surrender for the work of Jesus to be done through them, 
but, but also for them to participate as fully as they can with whatever will they have available to them to align themselves with the great work of God. And so for us, let's look at the idea of being devoted first to Jesus. Now, this man is a great example of why it's almost effortless to have a devotion to Jesus. How, how, how is he ever going to forget the fact that he is jumping and leaping and praising God all courtesy of Jesus Christ. Here you go. Now, it's, it is interesting that he didn't know what he was asking for, right? He said, hey, you know what? Can you, you know, help a brother out? You know, dime or a quarter. He would have been alms, alms, alms would have been like a broken record from him. And yet, what he got was so much more than that. He becomes the catalyst for the spread of the, war, of, the, of the gospel of Jesus. When I threw up a lame prayer, it wasn't even a prayer, because I was so stinking, sophisticated, secular. It wasn't even a prayer, but of course my version of prayer was my Stephen Covey Franklin Day Planner of, of 1992, where I took stock of myself through my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, where I looked at the deficiency of my character and wrote in there, in the great brilliance of my insight, of my 10-year and 5-year plans, get a little bit more involved with church this year. That was the depth of it that, that I wrote in 1992. And sadly, it was just as selfishly motivated as this man. I just, I just want, a couple, I want a couple bucks here. Uh, what did I want? I wanted to be seen in the corporate corridors of Coca-Cola as a man of greater character. Because I was, frankly, a bit of a party boy, and I knew that that was going to hold me back from advancement up the corporate ranks. And so maybe if I had church membership on my resume, well, they might think twice before they just dismiss me as an empty suit of a party boy. And that, sadly, is, is the only reason that I put that down, get more involved with the church. What in the world? Like, what happened from that point on when I actually tossed it up as a prayer of our right, God, maybe I need a little help in my life right now. You know, we, you know in, in our teen ministry, there have been, been plenty of times where maybe you just thought, you know what, I'm feeling a bit empty. I'm feeling a bit adrift. Or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling even in despair, even depressed. God, help a sister out. Help a brother out here, God. What do you got for me? And my goodness, what it is that he brings fully is something we never, ever bargained for. But for a lot of us in our marriages, it was like, ah, it's almost astounding how many of us here really actually kind of threw it up there like, God, you know what? The Cold War that has persisted in my home for the last decade is wearing me out. And I've tried a bunch of other things. And God, how about intervene a little bit in our lives? And then pff, the difference that that makes in, in what it is that you then become. Not just as you get the alms, not that you get the dime or a quarter, but instead, what you get is so much so that you end up jumping and leaping and praising God. Think of the, 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 that early deliverance and the fullness of what it is that Jesus really gave you. I, I remember even myself of like, I, I can't believe I'm saying these things. I just wanted to be kind of a man of character. Here I am like spilling over. I'm saying Jesus to vice presidents of Coca-Cola. I'm saying the word Jesus. Put it back. What am I doing? I just couldn't help it. Jumping and leaping and praising God. There was no, all right, today you really better like see if you can't mention Jesus. Look for the open door. I didn't need that. Why? Because the devotion sprang from Jesus. Not from my duty, not from my discipline, 
not from any sort of deliberateness, but just simply from remembering what Jesus has done for me. If you want to have a devotion that fuels us as a body of Christ, and let, let it be that it's a time where you look back at what Jesus has radically done for you. What was the before picture? What was the after picture? For me, I'm still amazed that absolute horrible, cursing, anger, drunkenness, a daily basis for decades and all of it to end. Not to mention pornography and womanizing on a daily, all of it to end. Hard stop, March 17th, 1993, 25 years soon. That was a hard stop, not like, oh, it kind of trickled out. No, Jesus ended it. I, I jumped to my feet and was able to, to walk and to praise God with overflowing joy. And so, so did you. So did you. If we want to be what we see here in the book of Acts, we want to reclaim that. Remember what it is and what Jesus did and how much more he gave you than you could have ever bargained for. Secondly, they were devoted not just to Jesus, but they were devoted together. Boy, oh boy, this is a hard one. And we have to almost be reminded of this every time we look at the Bible. Christianity is not an individualistic sport. Any of us who thinks that we're going to get good at prayer and good at Bible study and good at fasting and good at evangelizing and good at confessing and good at you pick it by ourselves. Well, then we are setting ourselves up for failure. And maybe for a lot of you, as you sit here right now and you say, oh, I want to be devoted, but I'm, I'm really I don't know. I just don't seem to be able to have a consistency in my Bible study. I, I know I'm overwhelmed by it. I love Jesus and all, but there's something about reading and studying the Bible that I can't get going with. Or about my prayer life that ends up being nothing more than, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. Uh, give me a good night's sleep. Uh, help tomorrow to go well. And um, help me to know the answers on the test that I don't know right now. Uh, how do you go from that to this? It's to do it the way that they did it. They did it together. And think about the times that you've prayed with other people and how different those prayers were. And then I, sometimes I think, oh no, when I'm with other people, it, it seems to go well. It's what, like maybe I can't do it on my own. Yes, I can't do it on my own. Like that's a great conclusion. Like I, in and of myself, I'm, I, I'm actually bankrupt, anemic in my capacity for all of these things. Great, perfect, because they did it together. Think about the most famous passages in the Bible about prayer. They did it together. Think about the most famous passages in the Bible about Bible study. They did it together. Think about the most famous passages in the Bible about evangelism. Even this one. Do you notice that it's not just Peter? They do it together, two by two. It's even what Jesus sent them out with in Luke chapter 10. I don't know why they're in twos here. It's either because they were devoted together or maybe they needed two witnesses for this miracle. But I think for us, if, if you want to get back to really having life to the full that these people are experiencing here, it is time to recognize I need you. We need one another. And even though I'm an American living in the most individualistic society on the face of the earth at any time in the history of the earth, that nonetheless, I am going to break through this veil of individualism and connect with somebody so that I can have a devotion around fellowship, prayer, Bible study, breaking of bread, all of the things that they had a devotion around and realizing they always did it together. Why are they so much better at it than you? 
Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why are they so much better at it than you? Because they're real Christians and you're not? No. Because you're Americans. That hold to individualism. And they're not. I, I really do think that if we just simply dropped our pride, dropped our entitlement of individualism and boundaries and my time, and actually made it our time and Jesus' time, we would see the most explosively enriching year of Christian growth in our lives. Is that what you want? Are you going to do something about it? And then finally, they were devoted to Jesus, they were devoted together, and they were devoted to gather. As I said, there's a reason they go at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's where the people are. Who is the bank robber who says, why do you rob banks? Because where the money is? Well, that's what the Christians were doing. Why were they in the temple courts? Why were they going to the epicenter of the temple court at, at 3 o'clock? Because that's where the people are. And, and to think that in, in some way that this great work of Christ was in any way a burden to them? No, it was, it was the great joy of their life. You know, the other day I was um, intending and I did, you know, intentionally evangelize and share about Jesus. But part of me thought, you know what, I need to do this because, you know what, we as a church, we're not really kind of evangelizing and I need to set an example. And then by my example, I can say I did it. And it was great. And then maybe you'll do it and then you'll help others. And it was great. And I realized, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? Like all of that is discipleship without Jesus. Like, holy smokes, I am I am a mess right now. And no wonder it's a burden for me to get out there and start sharing the gospel with people. And instead, I just realized, wait a minute. What is it that Jesus has done for me? What is it that Jesus has delivered me from? What is it that he has given me? What has he delivered me to? What is my peace? What is my hope? What is my capacity now, not only for faith and belief and community? My goodness. What is, and, and I realized like, oh my good. All right. Now I know why. But it was weird. It was almost like, like a fire, like blossomed like a flower inside of me. Like in, in my gut where it was like, oh my goodness, I, I've, I've got to do this. This, this has got to be. I mean, Jesus did all of this for, for a reason. Not that I would be some sort of a, a passive spectator, but that I would be in the game and, and making a difference and not pontificating you know, up here on a stage, but coming down and doing the great work of Jesus. But they did it two by two. They did it in great groups as well. And how about for us? The work of Christ needs to be done. People need to be reached. And if you're feeling like, ah, I don't know, I, I sometimes don't, have the wherewithal. I either think I don't know enough or I think that I am not brave enough. You know what? All of that goes away if there's just one other person with you. A couple of years ago, two years ago, I was uh, trying to rebuild my kitchen and put in cabinets. And I've never put in cabinets. And I, thought, I, and, I, and I was so afraid to do it by myself. And then Kurt Woodham came over. Kurt Woodham's never put in a cabinet either. But the mere fact that the two of us were together, we thought, you know what? We could do this thing. And those are just stupid, stupid cabinets. Still having to fix those things. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, they turned out fine. But same thing, the, the two things that cause the friction is that the fear of rejection 
and the fear of not being able to answer the questions or, or even knowing where to start. All of that absolutely evaporates when you do it the way that God wants you to do it with someone else. And if you really do have a desire to help people to know, you want to know that life in Christ, you want to be part of miracles, you want to have a front row seat to the working of the Holy Spirit, then my goodness, who, who are you connecting with? And so it leaves us with a final charge. Identify at least two others, two others with whom you will devote yourself to Jesus, to his word, to his mission. Who is it that you're going to pray with? Who is it that you're going to talk about Bible, the Bible with? Who is it you're going to sit down and read the Bible with? And who is it that you're going to go together and go connect other people to help them know about Jesus and to help them know about his words? Don't just identify them as you sit here right now, but make the plan with them today. Don't let them out of here today until you make the plan with them and, and have at least two people because you know things don't always work out with just the one person have it so that there's there's going to be a network of devotion that really does rise from among us so that we live life in the particulars not in the generals but these particulars are phenomenal let's live phenomenal lives of devotion amen we're break to fellowship